Hello, and welcome back to a brand new series of Two Beers Until Phrenesis. Series 3 has taken us far deeper down philosophical rabbit holes and the history of philosophy. We've talked about serious and relevant ethical conundrums and pondered the nature of religious faith. But you'll be glad to know we've also jetted absolute bollocks. More than ever before, in fact. Having conversations about ghosts, made-up countries and giants made out of poo. We worked harder than ever on this series, and I truly hope it shows. So grab a beer, or preferably two, and we hope you enjoy listening to these podcasts as much as we did recording them. Cheers for listening. Enjoy. So, ethics. That's my intro. Do you want to introduce Al, or is he just going to be here? Yeah. <laughs> I think we should probably introduce Al. Yes. Al, um, where did you go to uni? Um, Cardiff University. I was expecting you to come in like, welcome to the insert name here podcast. You don't even know the name of the podcast. <laughs> Two beers until phrenosis, isn't it? Phrenesis. I don't know how to pronounce the word, <laughs> so I don't want to say it out loud. So right, neither do we. That's why we made you do it. Oh, you. <laughs> you pronounce it better the more beers you have. Oh, I'm sure. That's true. That, once you have two, you can pronounce it properly. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, so today um, we're joined by Al and we're going to talk about ethics because we all studied philosophy at uni. So hopefully we could actually have quite a satisfying conversation about ethics, but probably not. You sound so confident. I oh, know, I always am. <laughs> I think we've said a few times before in this podcast, at least me and Joe are quite skeptical about these these traditional moral theories uh, from people like Bentham and Mill, kind of Enlightenment era stuff. Mm-hmm. When people started moving away from a religious context from the Dark Ages and picking up on more of those uh, outside of religious kind of oh, secular, I guess, explanations of ethics and how to treat people and why, picking up on those ancient Greek ideas. So people coming up with actual moral theories. And I think me and Joe have always been a little bit critical now, um, hundreds of years on, because it's great to bash dead people's ideas. Mm-hmm. It's one of your favorite pastimes. Yeah, that's literally all philosophers do. So They can't fight back, it's much easier. Yeah, exactly. Much easier. Much, much easier. Yeah, it's like, just call Aristotle a misogynist, because he's not here <laughs> to defend himself. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, um, I've always I've always kind of been a little bit skeptical of them. I, I obviously, just for people who aren't quite sure what any of this is and what uh, an ethical theory really is, it's just a way of codifying what people kind of already do, kind of getting at the basics of what our sense of morality really is and what theory best describes it. But it's also a little bit of prescribing as well. It's also yeah, it's guidance. Yeah, you should do this and you you shouldn't do that. But it's always based in human behavior anyway pretty much i think it's i think that's uh, an important way to think about it yeah well i think they try and pick away at what is moral good action and then being like well how can we be the most moral basically exactly then let's put the theory and a guidance to it yeah and make everything and scrutinize anyone who doesn't follow the theory because they must be immoral and evil yeah exactly <laughs> there's traditionally two ways of thinking about ethics and it might surprise some people that there are only two, but when you really think about it, there can only realistically be two. Uh, it'd be very hard to think of something outside of that because when you think about moral action, you've only got intentions and outcomes. So outcomes would be these consequentialist theories, which I think you're a fan of, Al. True. Utilitarianism. So looking at, in a very basic sense, looking at an action being good because it produces the best outcome. And of course, there's a lot of different nuances to that and thinking about well, what exactly is a good outcome how do you weigh these things up so this ethical way of thinking is more to do with cognition and reason i would say and i think it's that's why it's so attractive to these early rationalist thinkers and uh analytic philosophers nowadays and they've made revisions to it because of course the original way of thinking about utilitarianism was almost like, well, if you have a hundred people torturing one person, then the hundred people are right because, you know, it's more pleasure. Basically, it's only one person's uh, kind of discomfort. Classic example. And of course, that's been revised and revised. 
people have started to introduce rules and things. And it becomes very similar once you start adding all these rules, I think. I think it crosses the line into the next kind of ethical theory, which is deontology, which is all Kantian ethics because it's invented by Kant. And that's looking at the intention and producing uh, kind of rules and thinking about moral duty. Mm. One of the classic examples that people like to talk about when they're talking about Kantian ethics is an axe murderer comes to your house and says, you know, where are you hiding the victim? And you have to tell the truth in that instance when you're dealing with that person because you're not responsible for other people's actions. The outcome isn't important. The important thing is that you act according to your moral law. And moral laws mean you can't lie. Exactly. Because lying isn't moral. Full stop. Every case. Although that is based in logic, Kant's thoughts, isn't it? As well. Such a weird theory. Yeah, Kant is also very much a rationalist. And, and this kind of thinking is, is less popular nowadays. Um, utilitarianism seems to be the, the, you know, that rough sort of when you get like businesses talk about business ethics. I think really they're talking about some vague sense of utilitarianism, if anything. And I think it's generally some vague notion of utilitarianism is how most people tend to think about ethics, if, if at all, if they do systematize it at all. Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's a good point. I think um, for the most part is, well, I suppose I'll ask you as a question, do you think that utilitarianism is just what most people think basic ethics is? Yeah. Like, like as a general point, being ethical is being good for most people or like what is is best for the majority of the population is that what a typical modern view of ethics would be yeah i think it's it's a it's a cost benefit analysis in a lot of mm. cases and it's it's i think a lot of people you know try and weigh up and they, they are mostly thinking about the consequences but i think it doesn't quite describe i don't think any of these two theories really describe everything there's a third one that i'm a fan of and that's again dragging up some of these ancient greek ideas mostly aristotle and looking at virtue, um, there are problems with virtue ethics, but I think it is the best of the of the normative ethics, it's Aratheic ethics, looking at character and looking at uh, what kind of person you are in the society you live. So rather than kind of going back on onto all these rules and thinking of it as this big uh, cognitive, like I've, I've got to work out X and Y and calculate everything, it's more just looking into yourself and thinking, well, what kind of person does this action make me? Um, but also thinking that all decisions are effectively moral because you're constantly cultivating the kind of person you are, cultivating character or you know, desirable virtues. It's not just in the moment of the action. It's everything before and after. You know, being a, being a responsible parent or being a conscientious worker at work or any anything like that, really. Um, every decision you make. And I, and I, and I think that that's possibly a better way of thinking about ethics and i think joe you have a completely different which which i do i do um i think i agree with with that as well i'm on the fence between virtue ethics and, and this mm. weird edgy fourth way of thinking about <laughs> ethics. yeah trust me to be difficult about it yeah so i thought i'd just set that up before we kind of get into why we think all these things so roughly where we all sit. Um, so, Joe, do you want to explain this this fourth way of thinking about ethics? Yeah, sure. Briefly. And then so, I'll go back to good old utility. Yeah, of course. That's cool. That's cool. Okay, so, yeah, my, my way of thinking um, about normative ethics is that it's kind of meaningless. It, it's a moral framework that, that tries to encapsulate everything that it is to be human and everything that is to be a good human in a theory or a rule, if you like which I just think is not human at all. Um, when we act as humans and we talk to each other and we have these interactions, I don't think for a minute any of us are thinking about what our actions are like according to the philosophic calculus or like the ontological rules. I don't think that any human interaction pauses and thinks, am I doing the right thing that contributes towards the greater good for utilitarianism? Or am I being virtuous when I'm doing this? Like Interactions happen and then we talk about ethics afterwards. So I think to have a rule to set up a moral framework that we then follow just totally misses what it is to be human, I think. So it's, it's almost like a category error. A normative ethics puts the cart before the horse. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I don't think I fully understand that one. So we just shouldn't think about morals um, when we act? 
we should just act and then think, oh, was that bad? But it doesn't matter because I'm not going to be thinking about it anyway. No, I, I don't mean it like that. It's more that that is already the case, whether, yeah, yeah, whether yeah. people like it or not. It the okay. moral situations uh, and the heart of morality has really nothing to do with cognition. Reason is important, but it's an afterthought, and it's a little bit similar to how in the past I talked about like religious faith. Nobody ever came to God through reason. It was an emotional thing, and then they reason afterwards. It's like even people like Aquinas and and Anselm were already convinced of God when they made their rational arguments. Uh, rational arguments never took them to it. So this, I think what we're getting at is um, people like Emmanuel Levinas and Raymond Gator, these continental philosophers, which we've done a couple of episodes on, if, if anyone's interested. Uh, probably not because the mic quality is really shit on those. <laughs> <laughs> Too many nuts being eaten. Yeah, literally. <laughs> Crinkled packets. Basically, these people want to say that ethics is something that happens to a person and that reason doesn't really help. If you think of it in terms of reason, you can end up doing horrible things. You can make uh, moral systems that just have no heart or soul. And yeah. I do, I mean, these are people that survived the Holocaust. And so I think they do have a point because I think a lot of people who were behind those things would, would say something about morality. They wouldn't just say, oh, morality doesn't exist. I think they would just have different views on morality. And that's the problem. We need to be thinking radically different about morality to avoid horrible things. Yeah, I'd, I'd just like to not improve on, but add to what, what Connor just said. Um, using moral theory, I think, can sometimes justify nasty stuff as well. So, for example, utilitarianism, you can easily justify nasty stuff like that. And I think that's why it's dangerous to, serve, to have... Please do elaborate. Yeah, I, I think it's dangerous to have a moral framework that you can justify things on that, that tries to encapsulate so much of what it is to be human in a theory and then follow that to live your life. I really think that can be terrifying. I mean, to, to satisfy the philosophic calculus, all you need to do is have more pleasure than pain. I know that's a very dumbed down basic term. And I appreciate that there have been improvements upon utilitarianism, but as a basic idea, all you need to do is satisfy the philosophic calculus, which is, incredibly easy to do and you can do that while still being a really nasty person hence why i don't think it's ethical if they're following it shouldn't they not be a nasty person what do you mean if they were a nasty person it would produce more re results that were bad because of how they act because they're a nasty person okay well, well let's let's specify it down to a single point then rather than rather mm -hmm. than making a judgment about what the person's like um a nasty act then you can you can turn a nasty act into an ethical one by um applying it to moral theory and justifying it that way it depends what rules you have in place because it absolutely does yeah. if you're literally just thinking about a, a desirable outcome and the, the the wider picture if you if you think wide enough you could probably justify anything true yeah well um let's start with the baseline of utilitarianism then yeah Utilitarianism believes the only thing that matters in the world, morally, are pleasure and pain. And they believe there's a hedonic calculus, and you were calling it something different. But... Philosophic, <laughs> yeah. same thing, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the same thing. I've only heard that a few times. That's the edgy way of saying it. <laughs> Seven things, aren't there? Yeah, and, um, well, they, they basically say that pleasures and pains can be added up on a scale, and if your action is going to cause more pain than pleasure, then it's going to be an immoral action. Mm -hmm. And if your action is going to create more pleasure than pain, it's going to be a good action. There's no rules yet until we get to rule utilitarianism. So basic act utilitarianism is just like, just in every situation you're in, use the hedonic calculus, you know, a vague calculus in your head to just think, are you going to make more pleasure in this action or am I going to cause pain? And whatever action makes the most pleasure in a given situation is going to be the best. So, like, should I walk into this this house full of people and shower them with gifts, or should I just start swinging? Just start swinging. Well, I feel like I'd cause more pain by swinging at them. But if I give them gifts, make more pleasure. Therefore, that's the morally good action. To give a stupid example. Yeah, but yeah. It, it, it's it makes it makes perfect sense um, in a lot of ways when you're faced with decisions on paper in the abstract, and I feel like it doesn't. 
even even if, let's say it's not like an immediate situation like a trolley problem like oh shit there's there's two things going to happen here and i have to choose one of them what like on the spot let's say it's a, a more novel moral conundrum like a organ donation i think yeah that's that's i think why utilitarianism has been revised because pleasure and pain don't quite get around these issues it's a bit too simplistic and binary because there's also principles and that I think are important to include in the rules, which I think, correct me if I'm wrong, pr- probably the reason why utilitarianism was expanded because there's principles like dignity mm. and autonomy. I also think, you know, it's pleasure and pain. You could just have somebody hooked up to morphine their whole life. And that's why I think virtue ethics is more, is more important because it's about, well, I want to be autonomous. I want to be uh, reasonable. I want to have a sense of who I am. You know, I, I don't want to, I was just hooked up to morphine. That's there's no dignity in that, and you know, so principles of character are also important. But yeah, what, what do you think about these thought experiments? You mentioned the trolley problem, and there's also you said about the the organ donation one. So I think the typical one is there's five people who need an organ donated. There's a guy walking past the, the place where they are. Do you kill the guy to save the five other people's lives? Yeah, well, before that, it's, it's the um, it's the trolley problem where it's like, oh, do you want to divert it onto the five people, or but no, onto the one. Yeah, exactly. So most people would be like, initially on their intuitions, would be like, oh, I'd change it over so yeah. it kills the one person. But then the doctor's one is different, as you said, because imagine someone, guy walks in, there's going to be no consequences. Say, I don't know. Yeah, he's got no family or anything like that. So, And most people would be like, no, even though they're on paper, they seem like the same situation. So yeah, I, I suppose that's why I was going to ask Connor, what do you think of thought experiments like that? Because for me, they're basically useless. They're good for getting, yeah, I think you're right. I think they're good for getting like undergrad students thinking and discussing and people who maybe don't study philosophy or don't read into a lot of the, of the deeper ideas and stuff. I think like... It does so get more wrong a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, when I was in sixth form, I loved these things. And then I started to realize suddenly how morbid and kind of useless they were when it... Because I guess I guess they're good as, a, as analogies to real life situations, but they're always much more simplistic and always kind of mm-hmm. and just it's just an exercise in morbidity rather than and it's too uh, abstract and like calculative. It's like like it just reduces uh, what is actually a really visceral and dynamic situation into just some sort of sum. I th- yeah, I think that's my, that's my one of my big issues with normative ethics and particularly utilitarianism is it seems to satisfy mathematics more than it does treatment of human beings. Okay, that makes sense. Now I understand why you don't like them. <laughs> it feels <laughs> No, I, 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 do, I don't think it's totally useless. So I, I think I'd probably occupy a middle ground here because I, I would say that it's in those two situations, you're thinking about the organ donation and the trolley problem. When you're the trolley problem, where you're diverting a train to two people, and there's only two tracks, so both parties are involved. No matter what you do, no matter which way you pull that lever, it's going to hit into one of those. With the organ donation, the guy walking past isn't directly involved, and therefore uh, you introduce this new concept. And this is why I think uh, principles are important as well as outcomes. You've got this principle suddenly of consent. Which and I, I think it's useful to demonstrate that, but I don't think a trolley problem on its own can solve ethics. I think it's it's a very useful little starting point, and it's good for philo- philosophers writing books. All right, I would like to say I think I can highlight a very important distinction between the organ donation one and the trolley problem. Okay, and I can uh, I can bring it into utility as well. Why am I? Why not? Um, so the difference is well. If you're a guy wandering around the street or say you've just come in to the hospital because you need some health check, you don't really expect to be murdered. And in fact, if people did do this kind of thing, then people would be scared all the time of each other, thinking, oh, well, these people could murder me at any moment to benefit more people. Everyone would be on guard. There would, no, there would, be, there would not be any trust anymore between people. And that would cause way more distress mentally across the board than saving these people's lives anyway. So the general rule Point contributes taken, yeah. to a good outcome. Yeah. So you adopt the rule. Yeah. Yeah. So under, that's following a little bit like you to this, like why you'd be causing like global distress mm. because nobody would trust anyone. People would probably be a lot more aggressive towards each other in general and defensive, cause way more problems overall. Which is why if, under utilitarianism, you wouldn't. You can explain the difference. Yeah, I guess. But if you did it in secret, then you'd eliminate that problem to some degree. That make me even more distrustful of random people. It's kind of following like the 
categorical comparative a little bit. Yeah, I see what you mean, yeah. We're like using it like as if it was a universe. Yeah, it's like a breakdown in, in conception. Yeah, interesting stuff. You might be wondering why I like utilitarianism. This point. Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> well, I don't know actually, but yeah, these force experiments are very interesting. It does highlight it. Like I said, they are, I think they are good and useful at highlighting certain things because it makes you think for a second. Like, oh, well, why is that different? Maybe there is a reason. When it comes to utilitarianism. I feel like I feel like Mill's proof is just really good. I don't necessarily like the rest of the theory as a big framework because I don't really think you can have a big framework as a system. I don't think it really works like morals. But like I said, I like Mill's proof. Mill's proof is that, you know, all creatures aim for pleasure. All creatures avoid pain. That's a good basis to go on. Well, maybe we should be trying to aim to achieve what all creatures want and avoid what all creatures don't want. Yeah. Also internally, if you look within yourself, you know, that pain is, you just feel that pain is bad intrinsically and pleasure is good intrinsically. Do you think there's any crossover between pleasure and pain do you think there's any kind of murky ground um, in there or you know could you obviously because there's like the harm principle and, and there's ideas where you can cause pain to in the in the short term like a a needle prick uh will yeah. you know uh what am i trying to say vaccine <laughs> needle, needle yeah. prick vaccine thing you know what i'm saying yeah that's we're getting into bone man territory then. That's where like the whole head, the idea of the hedonic calculus comes from, I think. Where it's like, it's balancing it out. It's like, well, we can suffer a little bit of pain because we're going to get a lot more good and pleasure later. And pleasure is a bit of like a, a weak way of putting it. Because I don't really necessarily agree fully with utilitarianism. Because like you said, you said there was a, what if one person was being like tortured or something for, for the benefit of hundreds watching? They all enjoyed it. Yeah. But as entertainment, well, I guess traditionally, that's a, a weakness of traditional utilitarianism. I think that's totally valid. The fact that on the hedonic calculus, you'd say the hundreds of pleasure, smaller pleasure, would outweigh the one person's bad. But yeah. To be honest, I feel like. I would even go as far as to say that's not ethics. You know, when you're thinking that uh, calculatively and, and literally just thinking about, yeah, just a morbid sum of like, Okay, yeah, hundred yeah. people pleasure, one person pain. It's like no, it's there's there's so much more richness and complexity. I do think I do think act utilitarianism solves a lot of those issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I believe that mainly pain is the main thing we want to be eliminating. So I feel like pain is a lot more intense than like pleasure. So it's more like, more I... important to eliminate pain than to maximize pleasure. The whole idea of utilitarianism is quite vague because you can't really quantify these feelings no. in yourself. But like, say if we had like someone suffering an equal amount as two other people were having pleasure, I'd much rather go with the pain because like I feel like suffering is worse than any pleasure. Like it's more important to stop the pain than it is to give pleasure to people. Just full stop. That kind of gets avoided in my eyes because like, I just like the proof uh, as a baseline, yeah. and I kind of sketched up my own theories from it based. Like just going parallel to utility, basically. Yeah, I was actually thinking the other day about um, this in regards to veganism. The idea of pain and pleasure is relatively useless when we're thinking about that. But if we replace the word pain with suffering, we get like a much more accurate picture of what we want to avoid, and you know why some versions of eating meat might be permissible and why some really aren't. If you if you just think about, I'm going to avoid suffering as as much as possible. You. I can't help but end up with an 80% vegan diet, something like that. It's like sort of half a vegan, which I think is really interesting. So like specifically, um, the idea of like a pig li living a really fulfilling life for a pig. <laughs> so much mud to roll around. The pig and shit, isn't it? Oh, so much mud. <laughs> you know, when they're, when they're old and starting to become ill, this idea of um, you know, causing an animal pain isn't necessarily a bad thing because it can, it can be in their benefit. It can also be the end of suffering, can't it? And exactly, if 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 they're really ill at the time, I think I think there are mm. there are ways to even farm animals. There are indeed ways to farm animals. I've heard that. Yes, there are ways. <laughs> there are ways. There are ways to farm. I'm losing this point. There are ways to farm <laughs> animals uh, without causing them, you know, Im immense suffering. Now, yeah. pain might be involved, but it can mm. seem painful to give them 
shots and you know all, all kinds of things or like uh, pen them in to certain places and they, they might cause them to stress or whatever because they really want to be outside it's like well if they're outside they're going to eat all these wild things that you can't stop growing like uh, goats will just eat anything so you have to pen them in for a, a long periods of time because uh, they don't necessarily think about weather conditions and stuff so sometimes you have to harm animals for their best interest in the long run when it comes to killing as well there are ways to kill animals that can actually be quite humane, especially when you consider that, uh, for example, the fate they would meet in the wild. The difference is that the prolonged suffering you're mm-hmm. causing, and that, that includes mental suffering as well. Yep. Mm. Are, they, are these animals being affirmed in the natural state? Are they, are they being allowed to, as much as possible, live a natural kind of life? Are they penned in too much when it's not in their best interest, when it's not in the interest of their health? That's the, that's the issue. And are they suffering at the end of their lives? That's the problem. It's like in the wild, you know, they could be eaten, horribly maimed and killed before they die. They could die of disease and old age, which is a long agonizing process. Or just that level of farming where you're like, okay, here's an animal that's near its end, clean death. I don't know. It's just it's an interesting thing about it. I think, I, think, I think suffering is a better gauge of things than pain, basically. I think you've also brought up an interesting point by just mentioning animals. Like if I, for example, I ask Al, I know you've got your own sort of things that come off of utilitarianism. Would you include animals in your ethical theory? Okay, see, that was um, something I was saving for later. <laughs> my, my apologies. <laughs> because it's such a good counter-argument to utilitarianism. Because seeing as the only thing that they care about is pleasure and pain, harm and good, mm. well, then animals feel that too, so they should be on an equal footing with humans. Right. To a degree, at least, like the the, the hard like counter argument is like, yeah, you should be considering animals as good as humans. Basically, means to be moral in utilitarianism, you basically have to be vegan because of all the horrible things that farms do to animals. Do you think the lack of inclusion of animals stems from, I suppose, the old religious context? I think it's just an oversight. Do you not think it's because typically the, the typical view is that animals don't have souls, isn't it? I just want to I just want to say uh, the the Bentham quote. Jeremy Bentham was the guy who came up with the first version of utilitarianism. One of his famous quotes is, the question is not, can they reason, nor can they talk, but can they suffer? Mm. And obviously he's talking about animals, basically, there. Yeah. And animal rights, and being at the forefront of this, this kind of liberal movement. Just as a side point, it's, it's interesting to, to point out that a lot of these thinkers who are coming up with these kind of arbitrary systems, they were applying them. You know, I think we're being... I think I'm being possibly a little bit too unfair when I'm just saying, oh, it's this abstract thing. To be honest, these people were at the forefront of actual important things, i.e. not philosophy. You know, they were they were politicians and lawmakers and activists, and they were kind of working these ideas in as they went. So, yeah, just not, not to say that this is just some people in armchairs making weird, arbitrary kind of lists of do's and don'ts. They were actually, you know, living ethical lives as well. True. It seems weird to have a moral theory about how to live as a human, as you were saying earlier, which says that well, humans should be on the same page as animals, according to your own moral theory. But um, as people like Mill went on to suggest, there are different tiers of pleasure and different tiers of pain, that are like higher order in a sense. So humans obviously are capable of much more higher order pleasures. Like, I don't know, philosophy is probably higher on the pleasure list than just having a nice steak. Although that is also pleasurable. Is this Mill's Pleasures of the Mind? Yes. Yes, it is. Mm. So in a sense, like, yeah, humans are capable of, I guess on the hedonic characters, more pleasure than animals. So they should be given priority. I'm going to chuck in another quote here. Go for it. You might already know it. It is better to be a human being dissatisfied than a pig satisfied. Better to be Socrates dissatisfied than a fool satisfied. I recognize that one. Smart boy, good. Yeah, smart boy good, basically. Smart equal good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, getting to this idea that um, certainly that higher pleasures are, are more valuable, but the, the types of pleasures that a pig would have, these lower pleasures, just simply don't equate. Mm. Which, which is interesting that the utilitarian would say this. It obviously highlights the fact that there's more to utilitarianism than just simply bodily pleasures, you know, eating fucking swans and shit, like hedonism i think that is mm. yes yeah which is i guess what this utility stemmed from 
but like hedonism is a really old one from ancient Greece. Like an idea, and no, everyone just bashes it all the time back in. Yeah, but even hedonism has, in, in its ancient context, still had some ideas. They weren't just literally having orgies all the time. They were. <laughs> it's strange to think they. We think of hedons as being people that just fucking do whatever they like. They got a bad rep. Yeah, these kind of nuances to their their ways of thinking. Mm. I I feel like at a human level, Mill's proof and thinking of things in, in terms of pleasure and pain and all that. Also, just is just it's just giving a magnifying glass on how our morals work. So it's like it's just taken how traditionally humans think morally, just back an extra stage and being like, well, why do they think like that? Because um, when we think about morals, when we think, oh, do I want to hurt these people? Like, you feel bad if you hurt someone, for example. But that's through empathy, and I feel like empathy is based on the fact that you know what they're feeling, and so you know if they're in pleasure or pain. So I think it stems, so the whole idea of utility stems from the idea of empathy, which is the basis for morals, basically. And I totally agree that empathy is the basis of moral action and the way we should think about morality. Yeah, I think utilitarian is just taking it at that, just an extra step back where it's like, well, empathy is based on pleasure and pain. I think to equate empathy with reason, I think this is where you would agree, Joe, to say that empathy is like a, a reasonable thing, like we're we're just kind of, Calculating, oh, okay, well, so if I'm more empathetic, that will equal a better society. Or absolutely, yeah. yeah it, it's I don't know what your your guys' views on meta ethics are. I think meta ethics is potentially more of a interesting conversation than applied ethics. At least it is to me, because um, I, you know, like like I've said, I, I, these moral theories only go so far for me. But yeah, this idea of um, well let's just step even further back and say, well, what's, what do we mean when we say good? Uh, where does this idea of good come from? Is it something that's intuitively known or? Ah. Well, that's what Mill's proof is just. Yeah. Because he's like, well, there, what do we have to go on? Well, we feel pleasure and pain. We don't like pain. We like pleasure, etc. Just as humans. So they must be the basis. As far as I start to have issues with it. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about metaethics and, and the sense of good and bad and right and wrong seems to get a bit convoluted to me. I think our sense of good and bad and right and wrong are they're too reliant on external factors um, and cultural factors and things like that. I think all of that has an influence on what different people consider good, bad or right or wrong. Ah, <laughs> uh, well that's that's actually another reason why I like utilitarianism. At least as I view it. Because I think it is versatile, whereas other theories are not. Like Kant's one, no matter what culture you're in, these actions will always be wrong. These other actions will always be right, because he's based on logic entirely. Kant does miss the point, and it's, it's just like, it's, it's way too rigid. You can't, you can't do that. As much as I do like some of the ideas, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and I, I just think utility is more, a lot more versatile. If you go across different cultures, they'll find different things pleasurable and different things painful, meaning the hedonic calculus and Mill's proof still applies. I don't know, you want to offend the least people when you're in that, a new cultural place. Well, if you learn about their culture, you'll be able to... I, know, I do oh. worry about too much cultural relativism. I feel like an ethical theory does have to step in and say, okay, yeah, FGM's bad. Like, it's... You know what I mean? There are, there are limits to... Yeah. There's a difference also between cultural norms and then uh, morality. And then I, I would even say after that, there's, a, there's ethics. I don't know if you've ever heard a philosopher do this split between ethics and morality. Uh, it's kind of confusing because ethics is often taught as like, you know, a sort of layman. It's like business ethics or the ethics of... Yeah, oh, the yeah. ethics of... Uh, yeah. research i remember the definition i was taught in gcse for what the difference between ethics and morals is it's just meaningless i, you, I don't know if you remember this how we were in the same gcse class but um i was always taught that ethics was the real life application of morals like what does that even mean I think yeah I remember that. It, just, it means nothing does it true no yeah true it's really so so i would say that ethics goes further back. Ethics is the basis for morality. Morality is the rules and the do's and don'ts. And if you're religious, it's it's the scripture and it's the the tenets and the commandments, if you like. It's it's those kinds of things. And if you're a utilitarian, it's uh, morality is your I guess like your hedonic calculus, the things you refer back to and your your rough idea. 
But I think ethics is something much more, in a way, much more at the core of what you're thinking, but also more experiential. Mm. So the kind of getting onto more yeah. more Joe's uh, idea, mm. conception of ethics here, um, which I do I do agree with. I think it just it's the Joe's conception of ethics. If you if you just take Levinas it, in its on its own, I think it can just leave you with no real way to apply it, which is why I kind of like virtue ethics and the Levinas stuff combined. Perhaps that's why it appeals to me so much is that I'm not looking to apply it because I think that ethics is just so individual and I think it needs to be taken as a, a very small macro idea that interactions between humans are where ethics matters and that is it. There, there's no explanation of of what we can do for the greater population or how it affects things like that. I just think that's way too complicated for anybody to think about in the moment of action. That is important. I would like to come back to that, yeah. However, for now, I really need to go to the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stick a sting right there. A lot of what I think is quite relevant to what you're saying. So I, I do like what you're saying, even if it doesn't come across like that. Yeah, I, I think that and this is the thing with most conversations about ethics or anything. I think the the real differences are so minute. You can have people talking for yeah. four hours yeah. straight. And it's when you hit that point, you get right down, you strip away all the layers and all the, the jargon and the, the language problems. And you get to this tiny, tiny little point. Um, it's usually for ethics, it's usually at like the meta ethical level or like a very basic level of principle. And it's, it's just a shame because obviously with social media and everything, you, you can't really get to that point anymore. And the whole um, Richard Dawkins wave didn't help where debate suddenly, well, I mean, it was happening already, but the new atheism thing didn't help, where debate suddenly became spectacles. Everyone's too depersonalized and anonymous when on social media. They're not actually in a room trying to understand a person. They just have an agenda. They know what they think is right. They don't want to hear anything Yeah, else. absolutely. And it doesn't afford that chance to strip away the layers. Are you suggesting that you're not treating a human as a human? I think I am. I know you like <laughs> Yeah. Well, this, so this is something I wanted to, to pick up to just explain, I think, where me and Joe might be coming from. Uh, so mm. generally, we employ these techniques and reasons and habits in the supermarket and in especially like the, the military and in the, in the, in all kinds of walks of life where we avoid what Levinas would call the face. And um, he's, he's talking about, he's talking about the literal face. But he's also, he's talking about the soul as well, the reality of people in front of you and uh, especially those people that are suffering. And especially when we have the power to stop that suffering. Uh, this might sound a little bit woolly, I guess, but worth noting that Levinas is uh, Jewish and a lot of the things he's saying come from the religious Jewish perspective and that you can't really separate that from his ethics. Um, so it is like kind of semi-spiritual, but I think it's also important in a secular context. And yeah, it's just this idea that we prefer to reject the responsibility that comes with accepting people as people. Because, you know, when you're serving someone in the supermarket, saying like, oh yeah, two tins of beans and a, a condom, that'll be £2.60. That's a cold shopping bag, isn't it? Yeah. And you don't, <laughs> you don't look at them. You don't, you, you don't see a person. That's a very, I don't think that can quite be communicated in the terms that utilitarianism is thinking about because it's more experiential. And I think it's almost a category error to say that that's much to do with cognition. And when you do finally see somebody in front of you, you see the human subject, it's a feeling. It's not, it's not something you think about, and it's something that just happens to you. It hits you. So it's an affect. It's not something that's cognitively arrived at. It's not something that you, mm. you reason into. It, it's something, it's just a, a feeling that washes over you. It's like being in love. This might sound really, really woolly and pseudo-spiritual and let's all hold hands, but... I'm not quite ready for a spiritual <laughs> I never did religion like you guys. I see. I've never, I've never been religious, but I, I am very much swayed by this, this argument. And I think obviously the different ways of religion can mean different things to different people. And I, I do think that, yeah, just this idea that once you recognize that you have that responsibility, 
it's, it's the whole idea of if you can, you should. And you, you suddenly you you just realize that with people. But we try so hard to avoid it. I think he's right in saying that because you look at everything we do, it, it really is just an attempt to avoid the face, quite literally in, in some instances. And it's it's something we deny very regularly and it's it's almost institutionalized and uh, for good reason sometimes. I think a doctor should probably be you know, not not so obsessed. He needs to be objective. He needs to be thinking rationally. He can't be crying alongside his patients all the time because he has to keep a level head. That's obviously why they can't treat relatives. Um, so in some cases, it makes absolute sense. But in other cases, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we live very private lives. And sometimes we can be not just private, but very, very cold. And it's, it's the recognition of that responsibility to the other which we try and deny all the time. The recognition that they're human. And to remember that that's an experience, that's, that's something that's felt, not something that's theorized. And it's a very unique position. I feel like my ideas are an amalgamation of both views. It starts with the feeling. Because like I said, it starts with empathy. Yeah, and I think, I think empathy gets that, yeah. Yeah, so how do we act given that that's, yeah. that's the reality? Yeah. My love of mill and all that utilitarianism. It's, it's hard fought over the years. It's been back and forth. Because <laughs> as all its critics pile on, and I agree with them, a lot of them. Like Scanlon, I read, he's like, well, aggregation, adding up, doesn't really work that well. Well, he says that certain lower order pains and stuff don't add up to a higher order pain. That things on a higher order will, can never be added up to. Yeah, to me, that makes that sentence basically makes no sense the, the the very notion that i mean it's it's very difficult a million paper cuts doesn't add up to losing an arm yeah exactly you know? it's it's total cacrea it's like well these it's apple, apples and, and oranges yeah yeah i think you're absolutely right there i agree with that definitely because and it just means that the head on calculus doesn't really use maths in the traditional sense of maths like if you have enough ones it will add up to a million well it feels like certain pains are on a different level and you can add up those pains and those pleasures but none of the lower order ones will ever add up to one of them that's that's how i view as well that's where i break away from traditional utilitarianism now where i'm just like i'm just using it as a base have you looked into peter singer and like rm hair and the, the sort of modern utilitarianism i haven't really no i just looked at the critics of traditional ones and made my own ideas i, guess. I would say especially when you're looking at jeremy bentham uh, compared to these people, it's an entirely different theory, really. Compared to, it's had hundreds of yeah. years to revise itself. Yeah, it it is very much a different thing, and I I'm much more swayed by the modern notion. Uh, but I I feel like it's doing a lot of handstands, juggling, and in what sense? Uh, just adding more caveats to its principles and and introducing because yeah. you, know, you have to have all these rules and you have to be thinking five steps ahead to be thinking about truly good outcomes well that's like the classic from people have where it's like it's too ridiculous like to be thinking in every situation about the head on it characters yeah you just be stuck there trying to think about things and i agree and um susan wolf who i read who was brilliant article called moral saints i read it and it was like if you were being truly moral and under utilitarianism you'd be spending every waking day not doing things you like and hobbies and stuff you'd just be going out there doing charity all the time and doing other stuff because that would be creating more pleasure and that would be more happiness. It's the calculation. It's all part of the calculation. Yeah, and especially when you take the moral responsibility into that, um, you start thinking in terms of responsibility and you start thinking in terms of abstinence being a, a not a valid excuse. So this idea of you see someone drowning in a lake and you don't help them, or you, you'd be some sort of monster. Like, that's abhorrent. Like, why would you not just grab something and try and help them. You wouldn't just walk past and go, it's, not, it's nothing to do with me. But then, you know, people starving in Africa, you go, well they're, well, they're far away. It's nothing to do with me. It's, and once you start realizing that, it's like, no, this, this, you, can't, you can't do that, can you? you can't, that's not, that's not a, a, a good way to do ethics. Just have an anxiety attack about all the people suffering in the world. Like, how, how, do, you, how yeah. do you respond to that as a moral agent? And I, I, I do think there has to be some limitation. I don't know what that limitation is. I don't necessarily think it should be a local thing. Well, as I was mentioning, Moral Saints, Susan Wolf, classic, absolute bay. <laughs> <laughs> she, um, 
She just says it's like too much to ask to be a moral saint. It's too downing. It drags on your own life so much that it seems unreasonable to ask anyone to be a moral saint. But all these moral theories do ask you to be a moral saint if you're trying to be a, a maximally good moral person. Okay. And I say, well, that's that's very true. That's very true. I like what you're saying. And I think that comes into utilitarianism as well. Because if everyone was trying to be a moral saint, they wouldn't be giving themselves any hobbies, wouldn't be giving themselves any downtime. They'd be worried all the time. Well, all of that, that's playing on your happiness, which means you're actually taking away from the overall, I guess, hedonic calculus by being that. And then if we're demanding everyone else be like that, well, then everyone's being like that. Everyone should be putting everyone else first, but then you're not making time for you. It's like, well, at some point... I reckon under utilitarianism, it justifies the fact you should look for yourself, look out for yourself equally as much as other people and try and enjoy your life because then that's actually adding to the, the overall pool of pleasure and pain. I, I think articles like, like you're saying, of Susan Wolf, The Moral Saints, uh, are one of the reasons that I think moral frameworks and normative ethics are just too complicated for humans yes. to, to use. Um, they you, are. Get, you get all these little branches that are, well, what about this and what about that? That's why I like to bring it back down to something really simple. Simple. Uh, hmm. That's a new that's one. That's a new one. That's good. I like that. We'll keep that. Yeah. Trademark. Um, <laughs> um, something nice and simple. Um, and that is what Raymond Gator calls ethics, which is literally just seeing another human as a human. It's as simple as that. So I want to ask you a question now. Um, in his yep. book, in it's called Good and Evil and Absolute Conception in which he tries to highlight exactly what good and evil are. And this is where he uses the example of the Nazi officer facing down an innocent victim, looking them in the eye and being prepared to kill them. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we both agree that is an unethical event, an unethical action. Yes. Yes. Cool, I'm glad you said that. It's not It's not part of the head calculus. <laughs> Get the mask book out. Oh, it's fine. Well, that, no, that is no, my that point. Is, that it's, is morally bad, yeah. But yeah. why is it morally bad to you? Why is it unethical? Because uh, the, the Nazi isn't extending his empathy to this person. He's not considering that he's about to deal a great amount of harm to them, which is a bad thing, as per the basic rule of utility. I think I, I, think I know where you're going with this, Joe. Yeah, so I, I think we agree on, on the concept that it's a bad thing. I want to just say... I, my, I, what I've been leaning up to is um, with this, with mentioning Susan Wolf and moral saints and how it's ridiculous to be a moral saint is that I, I agree having these rules and frameworks rule utilitarianism doesn't work because it's too ridiculous. You're not, not having time to live. You can't just be having your life as a total moral person because that goes against the very idea of utility, which is that you're not actually having a pleasurable life or anything. And that's that I use the general idea of pleasure and pain as a general guide, not something to be thought about that much. Just like, like maybe say if you're on the little scale, as you were saying, human interactions, mm. if you're in a pub and you're talking to a narcissist and the narcissist just want, doesn't want to talk about anyone else in the group, they just want to talk about themselves. Well, that's bad because no one else is enjoying this conversation. Just little ways like that. Just use it, just have it as like an, a general idea you have at the back of your mind to like refresh you and think, well, hold on. I already know through my empathy that I'm causing pleasure and pain. Maybe I should put myself in there, in other people's shoes, see is my next action going to be like... Kind of I get, I get that. I get, I get that as well. But, it, but even for me, it's still too much. So I'm just using the very basis of UC. I'm not making a moral theory around it. I'm not saying you should even adhere to it and get out the, the mask because I said, like this crazed person and trying to be the maximally moral person you can because it's it, that will, that's straying too far now. Hmm. We're missing the point. Yes. That point. yes. As, as you were saying, yeah. I totally agree. I just simply like the very base ideas behind UC as I, a general guide. I get that. Well, before Joe, before Joe, yeah, go on. Sorry, let's all jump before in. Joe, yeah, <laughs> pile on. Let's just never let Joe finish his point. No, fuck <laughs> you, Joe. I just want to say, uh, yeah, I'm going to delete all your audio anyway. So you get him muted. <laughs> He's yeah. gone. I want him gone. Um, no, I just want to say that um, I actually think of it very differently. I used to have that whole thing where I was like, okay, well, it's a benchmark in the back of my mind. It comes forward uh, in a certain situation, and that I think is the problem with uh, moral theories. Um, they are too heavy, they're too cumbersome, they're too, they're too much to drag out. So mm. if you simplify it um, and think about it as just 
like I said, virtues. Because virtues are very easy to think about. Yeah. Because they're so basic and they, they they're so applicable to different situations. And they and they are quite uh, malleable. They they can you can apply them in lots of different ways and there's lots of room there for the movement. And so thinking about the virtue of like moral courage or, or, or intellectual curiosity. These are just good things and they and they can always be at the front of what you do. And it's you don't have to wait until somebody kicks off in a pub or it, it, the situation is bad. You can think about it when situations are good too. You can always think about cultivating and think, always think about what kind of person you are and what kind of person do I want to be. That's a, yeah, that's good. I like that. And I can even amalgamate it like a, a greedy little gremlin into my fear and say, doing that is what will maximize the most good. So, haha, <laughs> up one up you. First traffic is a part of utilitarianism. I got you. It's all part of the one theory, the one true theory. Do you yeah. want to? <laughs> <Sorry. Carry on. laughs> oh, do you want to finish your point? Yeah, I get what you're saying, Alan. I do agree with you on a micro level. And on a micro level, um, you're a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> but you say that we're using utilitarianism as like a basic thing that comes out sometimes, that just as a basic idea to treat people well. I get that. That's fine. My my issue with it is, as I've said before, is that it opens itself up to loads of different counter arguments. Um, so it branches off, like we're saying about Susan Wolf and Moral Saints, that it opens up that argument. I know we've sort of satisfied that, but as we start to satisfy all these little branches out that you know we can attack utilitarianism with, as we're bringing it back down to something smaller, it's starting to become not utilitarianism anymore. Okay. It's it's starting to become a basic idea that I think I believe in as well. And if we're talking about treating people just as people, I think that is the simple view that we should take as ethics. My other issue is that even though you're just saying that we should treat people with a little bit more empathy, I think if we're going to do that in the framework of utilitarianism, even if we're talking about these individual conversations, I think we're still doing it for the sake of satisfying the hedonic of the certificate. I think we're still doing it for the sake of satisfying the philosophic or the hedonic calculus, rather than doing it for the sake yeah. of doing it because there's another human in front of us, which, which is my issue. I think ethics to me, as it yeah. is to Raymond Gator, is that the only thing that there is to ethics is seeing a human being in front of you as a human being. It's as simple as that. I think that's really hard to, to counter, uh, and that's why it's so simple and it's so good, because that is it. The example, obviously, you gave with the, the, the Nazi. Yeah. So there's a Nazi in front of a person, yeah, uh, about to kill them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, there's, no, there's no gymnastics or mental reasoning you have to do, because it, it gets at something much more raw. And, mm -hmm. and it's not about thinking. Just like you say, it's, it's experiential. Yeah, the moment you're thinking, I think you've missed the point at that. Like mm -hmm. thinking is very important to ethics, but it's it's a it's a thing done in post, or actually something done pre uh, moral event. Or you know, like I said, you could you could argue that there are there are no moral events. There are no, It's not ethics isn't about these dilemmas like that suddenly crop up, which because they don't. You, you know, you got you go to work, you come home you got to sleep. There's never, it's not like a video game where it's just like, you are now in a dilemma. It's like, you're, you're always, <laughs> your life is a fucking horrible dilemma and you've always got to navigate it. And it's, it's about the attitude you're slowly equipping yourself with. And it's about the mistakes you make and the, uh, the, the, the good things you do. And it's, it's all, it's all one event pretty much. And I, I think that's <clears throat> a much better way of thinking about it. Cause I think, I think utilitarianism is good when it comes to, those those things where you have to reason because it's it's almost like politics it it's it's so applied and it's so rigorous and and it's got all these different facets it's very good for if you were in a boardroom and you were like well what is the what what do we do to get the best outcome well when you have the time to think about it yes yeah but when you're not thinking about it you can still keep it in the back of your mind. yeah and i i think to be honest we probably do but i think we have a we reserve a different place for applied ethics and it, it comes when it's when it's a situation that can be reasoned. And I think it's it's I think I would just argue it's more useful to have a an idea of virtue or seeing someone as a human and, and just that more experiential kind of feeling and and, and uh, 
the, this idea again, like equipping yourself with moral attitudes. I think that's that's day to day a much better way of thinking about ethics. But I don't know whether utilitarianism can give you the tools you need to navigate just a, an ordinary day. You know, I, I think because I think it's also ethical to spend your day reading. I think it's it's ethical to to watch TV shows that make you happy or enrich you. Or if an ethical theory leaves room for murder, I, I think it's yeah, it's not. It's not an ethical theory. Yeah. It's more which policy works the best, which one mm. will be more beneficial, which is still incredibly useful and can be used to supplement ethics. But I think calling it ethics is just a bit of a stretch. But then I, I don't know how modern utilitarians get around these kinds of problems because they do. And obviously that some, some of the people like Peter Singer and Aram Hare are at the forefront of all these ethical arguments and debates in the world they're, they're some of the people that are concerned about ethics the most mm. um, I don't know how they get around to these problems I think all these ethical theories want the same thing mm. other than Kantian stuff that stuff's bonkers yeah it, it is quite bonkers I hate that stuff <laughs> <laughs> but I think they all want the same oh shit they all want the same outcome it's, it's just yeah. about which theory is, is most accurately describing the reality of, of human ethics. Yeah. But I'm hoping I've at least described as to why I like this theory anyway, or at least the baseline and Mill's proof. I, I just think, I think my issue is that to, to get it to a point where I can sort of agree with you, we have to strip away most of what utilitarianism is. With that, because I'm saying utilitarian is the very basic principle of pleasure. Maximize as much pleasure where you can, minimize pain where you can. I feel like it's too vague because, like I said, I was trying to make the point when I was with the Nazi guy, like, well, he's not going to view humanity as the same. So saying just treat humans as another human. No, I, I, so yeah, this is why I just want to kind of say to make it more useful and more applicable and, and kind of, yeah, I, I, I think that virtue ethics using, because obviously virtue ethics has this big problem with cultural relativism. What is a virtue in one country could be different a different mm. virtue for somebody else. You know, the, the idea yeah. of what is a paragon of virtue, what is a good person? Is it somebody that's courageous? Is it somebody that's this or that? I think yeah, it's different. It's different. So I think different, if you yeah. use that as a linchpin, this idea of treating another person as a person, and I think that also includes yourself as well. I think it's ethics as a self-to-self relationship as well as a yeah. self-to-other relationship. And I think that's probably the one thing that Levinas and Gator are missing. Different people are going to have different ideas of what treating someone as a human is. Because people are going to, they have a certain picture of themselves, right? I feel like it's more down to bare bones to say pleasure and pain. Yeah. I reckon, so that's my point against Joe, is that he likes the fact that it's simple. But I think it's not simple, it's just vague, whereas I think mine's more simple. Yeah, I, no, I get that. That's possibly because we haven't really gone into much detail. Possibly because yeah, we, yeah, we've probably, done it before. Because yeah. uh, we talked... I haven't. This is new stuff. Yeah, here, okay. So probably just misinterpreted. This idea of treating a human as a human. So obviously Kant talks about objectification being a big issue. And that's anything from, you know, just attacking someone or stealing from them or... He, he calls it treating a human as a means to an end rather than end of themselves. Yeah. And I think that probably... That's Kant's point. Probably describes yeah, it better. That doesn't mean you can't use people as not a human in the end, I guess. If someone's job is to be a shop person, you don't have to be like, oh, I value you as a person because you like, beat your stuff through. No, I think I think you do. Um, but I think there are certain situations where it's it's useful not to, like I said, like a doctor. But I, I do think there is a way to do like ethical business, you know, as they're beeping your stuff through. So long as you're not completely just thinking like this person is a fucking object in front of me. Like they're, they're just there to do that. But I think I think it's just... It's just kind of laziness that we don't. And I do it. I'm not saying like I go around saying, oh, how are you today? Because I really don't. <laughs> I'm, I'm, you know, my contact with people is minimal at best. But I recognize that the reason I'm doing that is because the responsibility would be so intense if I let myself go, this person's a human, yeah. they're struggling, they've had a long day. Yeah, yeah. You highlight something, yeah, very important there because it'd be, I want to use the word exhausting to be doing that. You wouldn't be able to keep it up. Mm. Just treating everyone as a human, constantly putting yourself being like, "Oh yeah, this person's a human. Let's treat them as such," etc. When you're just trying to do a job, yeah. But I do think that religious people do this uh, because something just switches inside of them, and 
they just see the humanity in everybody. And I, I think we only do it with some of us don't do it at all, but I think we only do it really with a few close friends. And maybe when we see someone cry or break down, we suddenly go, Oh, they're a person. And the emotions are suddenly at the forefront. Yeah. yeah. That is if we don't just go, Oh fucking hell, someone's crying. I'm going to get away from that. You know, so say if you witness somebody get mugged and you talk to them for long enough, or, you know, you hear somebody talk about their day, suddenly you just, something snaps and you just go, this is a person in front of me and I, I feel some sort of connection towards them. And yeah, so Levinas talks about this in a very spiritual way and he's, he's like, you're, you're literally getting into someone's soul basically here and you've, you've, you've seen their humanity, you've seen their face. And mm. I, I do very much like that. It's very evocative. And, and I think that's, that does get at the heart of the issue of kind of everyday interactions with people. And, uh, you know, I avoid it. We all avoid it. We all avoid seeing people as people. And that's, that's, so that's what seeing a human as a human means. I know, I know it sounds very woolly, but it's, it's, and because what he says is it, once you see that, once you see a person as a person, it's impossible to do them any harm. And, you know, you think about every bad action that people do, you know, mugging and fighting and whatever, you, they're an object. People aren't looking in people's eyes and going, oh, you've had a rough day, you're just like me. It, again, empathy. They're not, they're not being empathetic. Everyone's probably capable of these crimes. Yeah. It, because they're ignoring that element. And like I said, institutions, certain, certain places will try and cultivate that lack of really seeing someone. I do like, I do like the ideas. We talked about it being exhausting to be truly ethical, and I get that. But I do understand that it would be exa- exhausting to treat everybody as a human in every single interaction that we did. But I think if you are going to be fully ethical, that is what you do. And I'm not for a minute suggesting that the majority of people are fully ethical because I don't think they are. I don't think we live in an ethically good world for the most part. I don't reckon it's possible to be fully ethical all the time. It was just what I was saying because it'd be too exhausting. It would be too exhausting, but hence why we're not ethical for the most part. But I do think there are those cases where people are. But you can still see, you can still see another person as a human being without like giving them your house. But you don't have to you know, give up everything that you have. And, and give it to someone else. So you can be ethical without being a moral saint if you're just treating someone as another human being. Yeah, I think once you realize what, that kind of thing that Levinas is saying, I think once you get to that, I think it's, it's a lot easier to spot those situations where you are just like, you know, avoiding eye contact or being like, oh, fuck this person or whatever. Especially if, you, if you, your job is like cold calling. Like, you know, you'd be like, oh shit. Yeah, no, that's, that's literally what I'm doing. I'm just objectifying people all the time. That's, that's basically my job. I hate doing that. <laughs> I hate, I had to do that once. I've Awful. had to do it with retail and bar work in the past. Not where I work now, but in, in and, and yeah. especially when the way that people were treating you as well. It's like, I, we had the lecturers come by because I used to work in the, the little canteen at the university while mm-hmm. I was doing my masters. And they'd come by and you'd be in the, there in your little hat and whatever. And that's another thing. These clothes, <laughs> these clothes turn you into, into an object. And absolutely they come by and they'd be like, coffee, and just like chuck money at you. And then you're just a vessel. Yeah. And sometimes you'd say you'd somehow, because I, I don't really, I never like talking about what I study or, and because it just sounds big headed or whatever. Mm. Normally they, they talk about themselves. They'd be like, oh, I've been, I've been marking all day. It's like, have you? I've been uh, on my feet for eight hours. I'd, I'd fuck it. I would pay to do some marking. To be, to be a lecturer like <laughs> this point, that sounds great yeah. like I've, I've just I, yeah, I get I've been mean. mopping you've never mopped in your life if you're moaning about marking <laughs> and then suddenly you know, you'd have a conversation you'd be like oh I yeah no I study here and then suddenly something would click and they'd, and they'd, they'd be like oh you're, you're a student you're a human are you you know mm, yeah oh you're, you're you're actually like a you're not just like a fucking pleb with a mop you know because that, that's what I think <laughs> of people that mop yeah it's just it's just interesting how it Moppers are all the same. Yeah. Oh, you you clean toilets. You must not be worthy of talking to me. You know. And then you go, no, no, I'm I'm a student here as well. They go, oh, you're a person. It's like oh, I thought I was a person the whole time. Thanks. It's just suddenly there's this interest and this this yeah. like connection. It's like why wasn't that there before? 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the same thing. I do like that. I do like it, yeah. Do we leave it there for now? Because yeah, don't like good. two hours. Yeah, it sounds good, man. Awesome. I got you. It's all part of the one theory, the one true theory. What am I trying to say? Vaccine. <laughs> needle, needle prick vaccine thing. You know what I'm saying? There are indeed ways to farm animals. I've heard that. For the sake of satisfying the hedonic of the certificate. Two tins of beans and a, a condom. That'll be £2.60. Let's all jump in. Pile on. <laughs> I like to bring it back down to something really simple. Cool. Uh, simple cool. Hmm. That's a new That's one. That's a new one. That's good. I like that. Oh, fuck you, Joe. Cut it. Cut him out. <laughs> <laughs> He's gone. I want him gone. <laughs>